Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hey, everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Uncertain Futures. My name is Davis Maddock. I am joined by Michael Leone, as always, uh, here on the Sports Grid live stream YouTube. Uh, it's also on the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast feed as well. And, uh, Mike, we are here holding some Kansas City Chiefs futures and feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, well, I have to say you're holding the Kansas City Chiefs futures. I didn't get in on that and you are absolutely correct and I was just saying to you before the show it was a combination of two things I think one they did run pretty pure right like going into week 17 it looked like the road to the playoffs was home versus Tennessee then at New England then at Baltimore what ended up happening was by week home versus Houston the fraudulent Texans and then home versus Titans who I won't call fraudulent because I think they are pretty good oh I will I will that was, you can that call was the, them That was but. the biggest paper tiger house of me. Uh, you know, uh, uh, just it just like I, I don't believe I was going for house of mirrors, which I don't think is a thing that people say. Hall of mirrors, maybe. Hall of mirrors, maybe. Uh, yeah, not not a thing. <laughs> not a thing that people say. Uh, so here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing about the Tennessee Titans. Uh, nothing they did was real to me at all. I mean, if you look at the red zone productivity, it was pretty insane that they were, you know, literally just scoring touchdowns every single time and not even attempting field goals. And that regressed, which we saw. They still got up 17-7, though. And I think some of the Derrick Henry stuff was overblown because they ran so pure in other areas that it allowed Derrick Henry to be maximized. And it wasn't necessarily the root of them getting into the good game scripts, but it did help them salt away some of these leads which you couldn't do against Kansas City I mean do you do you want to talk about the fact that like Derrick Henry beat you down so much that like three weeks ago you tweeted that running backs might matter like do you want to talk about that I still think that there's probably a little give and take to where most analytics people think pass run value is which is still like way far away from where we are right now. Like we're nowhere near equilibrium. I still think that there might be a little something to it that's not being fully encapsulated and just looking at EPA splits. So do you want my, do you want my real take and not like my like Twitter, like shock jock take? 
Well, let me, so I said one Kansas City Ram here. You didn't even let me get to number two, which is I think that one of the things we discussed last week was there are some teams that the regular season data wasn't complete for, and Kansas City was clearly one of those teams, both yeah. in terms of the personnel that they have available healthy and in terms of how they were actually going to play the game. So very pass-heavy, tons of Damian Williams, Tyreek Hill healthy, Patrick Mahomes healthy. They've got everyone there. So I do think that models, including our own, underrated them. So now you can give your Tennessee Titans no filter take. Well, it's not, it's not my Tennessee Titans take. It's just my overall running backs take. And it's not that it's not that running backs matter. It's not that teams should draft running backs in the first round. It's not that Derrick Henry should get a massive contract. However, like you like you tweeted uh, when you were doubting, you know, your whole life, your whole life's work and trying to kowtow to the Derrick Henry people, there is value in having a running game that is able to produce like a success rate of like fifty percent, right? Which is like Derrick Henry was in the playoffs. He was like a like 65% success rate, at least for those first two games before he was really bad in the Kansas City Chiefs game. The problem is when you are like a run-based team, and we saw this with Baltimore, actually, you can only win one type of game. You can't, you can't be unlucky. If the Tennessee Titans got unlucky, they, they were dead. You know, if, if they gave up a defensive special teams touchdown, a punt return touchdown, and they're down 10-0 or whatever, they, ju- they were just dusted. Because you you just you can't run six yards at a time down ten points. It just it just does not work. So my no, take I, is that it matters, but building your team that way is really bad. Yeah, I agree with that. It's not optimal to build your team that way. And that's what I keep saying is I think ninety we're like ninety percent of the way in terms of where analytics say the pass run ratio is correct. I'm just saying it might not be a hundred percent. And part of that's moot because we're so far away from equilibrium now that you know, clearly teams are running too much and building around running backs too much. And Derrick Henry is going to get way overpaid. So I do agree with that. There's also, you know, in the, the Ravens example, I do think is another example as well as the regular season data not carrying over because they were in those game scripts that they were built for so much of the season that we didn't really get the, you know, bring back down to earth data from a few of the games where maybe they would have had to play the way they don't want to play. And I do think Lamar got a little bit unlucky in that game where he actually did a better job than I expected as having to just drop back and pass all of the time. They just ran pretty unlucky in the red zone and on fourth downs. I got to say, he did better than I thought he would do in the just drop back and pass. Like, I I thought it was going to be a disaster. And, I, I mean, I do think that Harbaugh did him a little bit of a disservice by completely going away from their base offense. Like, by the second half, they weren't even doing the pistol offense. They were just no, uh, straight they, drop they, back. Yeah, and, and I, I thought that was bad. And I thought that Harbaugh, I mean, we are all so, like, we are all, like, the, the analytics community, not that I'm even an analytics guy, whatever, but, like, the, the people on Twitter, we're all so protective of Lamar. We all, we all love Lamar so much that, like, it's easy to say, oh, Harbaugh did this or that. I mean, Lamar yeah. played very bad in the first half. It was not, like, even as a runner – he was not very good in the first half, but I mean, it's just, I don't like that game was not his fault, I guess is what I'm trying to say. He could have put them in a better position. 
but it wasn't, he wasn't the reason they lost. And with the Harbaugh thing in the second half, though, dude, they racked up yards. Like, did they pump the ball at all in the second half? I mean, I they, mean just they, they went for it on, the they went for it on fourth and one and didn't get it. I mean, the, the game ended though. The game, the game basically on ended the on, uh, not, not on the interception. I, I thought that once they gave up that fumble in the red zone with five minutes left in the third quarter, I thought, I thought that was it. I thought that was the end of it. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they had their chances, um, but you know, we're talking about running here and hard not to talk about the fact that Jimmy G had what single digit pass attempts and they won a championship game in a convincing fashion, which, and before you knock on analytics people for that stuff, you won't find a single analytics person that says you shouldn't run the ball if you're going to average seven yards a carry, which in terms of EPA per play, I will go back to EPA here. That was about equivalent to a Mahomes pass attempt from last year. Yeah, I mean, so so this is uh, this is like a little bit of classic football guy meets like new the new world of football. There's this thing that football coaches used to say, and I mean, Leone, like this is such a boomer thing. Your your dad probably thinks this, but when you when you pass the ball, only one good thing can happen and two bad things can happen. But when you run the ball, it's it's binary, good or bad. So, like, that's why old football coaches liked to run the ball so much. That was just something that was always bantered around. And it, that is, of course, not true, right? Like, it, like um, it's it's less didactic than that. But, I mean, running the ball, if you're just – But gonna, passing you, is higher variance. Passing is higher variance. That is, that is true. But – I mean, I think every football coach, I mean, literally, I think even Andy Reid, I, I think that, uh, you know, even uh, Don Coryell, I think Mike Leach, I think if, if you just told any of these guys who are all in on passing the ball, you said, literally, you do not have to embrace the variance of passing at all. You can just get six yards of carry every play of the game. They would call nothing but run plays. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, Josh Hermsmeyer said it on Twitter generally the assumption is it's it's table stakes to assume that you're going to be able to not let that happen to you defensively. You know, that's part of the reason why the kind of numbers say you should pass so much because these rushing games just don't happen. And if you can make them happen, yeah, you should do it. You should go for it. And what San Francisco has done with the way they've utilized guys in motion and just gotten a lot of, you know, creativity in their run game, it also helps just like the Patriots were helped by Rob Gronkowski the Niners are helped by George Kittle. You have one of the best pass catching tight ends in the entire league and one of the best run blocking tight ends in the entire league. And if you can run super successfully, you should. And Baltimore was also an example of this. You should do that. So uh, it's not so much that we're anti-run, we're anti-plays that average three and a half yards. That's what we're anti. Mm, I mean, I'm I, I'm anti-run as like a brand a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I guess um, also there's, there is, there is um, like there's running the ball in the way that the Titans run the ball where it's just like, okay, Derrick Henry's going to run behind the left guard and he's going to go until he get tackled. And then there's the way that the San Francisco 49ers run the ball, which is, you know, a ton of very clever innovations. Um, they're, they're confusing the defense on where the run is going to go pre-snap, very similar to how. Um, you know, very, very similar to how the Chiefs confuse you as to where the ball is going pre-snap on their passing plays. Like the 49ers run the ball in a very creative way. And, and I will admit this is actually um, like it's a little bit of a, a weakness in my tout game that 
you know, I don't, I don't know all of the terminology. I don't know how to point out all of the things in the running game pre-snap as to like, oh, this is why this is happening. Like I know way more about passing the football. I know way more about route combinations than I do about running the game. And, and I guess I just need to get my hand in the dirt, Mike. Yeah, I think when you see offenses like Shanahan's, you do start to realize that, again, there potentially is more valuable more value in the run game than we might be conceding. It's still not as important as passing, but, and the way you utilize, you know, the wide receivers in the run game on those end arounds, you look at Debo Samuel for the regular season, he averaged over 11 yards per rush attempt. Like <laughs> that, that's insane. If you look at the playoffs, you know, one carry for six yards against Minnesota, two carries for 43 yards in that game against Green Bay, you know, these type of things, again, if you can run a high floor play, but still have the upside of a passing attempt or close to it, you absolutely should be doing those types of plays. Now for this matchup in the Super Bowl that I find interesting, I think people like in terms of prop betting and whatnot are going to be too high on the San Francisco run game and too low on the pass game. Maybe I'm giving Shannon too much credit, but I don't think this is the type of game where he's going to be able to just do what he did against Green Bay, especially with Mahomes putting up points on the other side of the ball. So my early look at some of the props were overs on Jimmy G, especially the over one and a half passing touchdowns. We've got him projected for nearly two at Daily Roto. I think that's a pretty strong bet. So I, I, I'm kind of of I'm kind of of two minds about this, and uh, this is actually this is something that I discussed on one of the most recent episodes of the Tate Cast, which is like sharp money versus the public money. And uh, Leone, I don't know if there has been a more public bet in like all of football this year than Kansas City minus one and a half because this line is it. it is, oh, the, don't you think the Chiefs are super public? Maybe I thought I'm, they I'm would wrong. be. I thought they would be. And then some people were posting on Twitter how much they like the Niners. Well, I mean, so I, I guess the thing about the Super Bowl is that it's it's hard for sports books to move the lines too much once they start taking a ton of tickets because, like, it's just, it is so much money. There is so much but money getting bet into these lines. So, so you mentioned, you know, the sports betting book that Ed Miller did. And I forgot who the other author is. I apologize. Um, Matthew Davidow. Yeah. So the public money, though, doesn't necessarily, you know, that's not necessarily an impetus for them to move the line, especially Especially this early if they on. think the line is right. Yeah, because it's not a whole, it's not a lot of money necessarily. And so they did say some of these big games can be the, um, the exception to that rule because you do end up with so much public money, like the national championship game where we saw a big line movement where oh, when you were on the wrong side, but you felt you got your money in good. I think <laughs> the guys you interviewed even acknowledged that. No, they uh, did. They told me I was a fish for betting LSU, yeah. but then, but then they said, you know, at the end of the day, sharp money is just, it's more about the number than about the side. So I felt better about that. They, so they called me a G fish in a nice way. 242 passing yards. I think I'm taking the over, but I like the passing touchdown one even more at one and a half where it's like, I think it's just juice minus 112, which is pretty normal for props. Uh, but what do you see happening in this game? Are you, and the, like public money, sharp money, what they said, the vast majority of the time is regardless. It's just like utter nonsense. It doesn't really help you identify a good bet or not. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, that is for sure. So I know you're in terms of in terms of my wagers for this game. Obviously, I have you know I have Chiefs preseason futures. I have Chiefs futures from the couple games where Mahomes was injured and they they got down to like an absurd price. And then um, 
I, I also have uh, that that one that we talked about in the first episode that we did of the show, where they were uh, three they were three to one to win the championship then. But you know you know what I think the fun way to bet on this game is is the is the the Chiefs onslaught. So you do like anytime touchdown scoring for McCole Hardman for Blake Bell for like and like that's that's kind of how I want to bet it just because I I want the Chiefs Blake to just Bell. yeah I I got I got the Blake Bell ticket. Dude, these, Blake Bell is a goat. He plays way more than people think. He plays like he was playing a lot of their snaps. last week. Yeah, I think he'll be a pretty good showdown play, but I don't know if I would bet the anytime touchdown on him. Well, it's all, it, already, think, it, already, it already moved from when I touted it the first time. But if what you're saying happens, what I'm saying probably happens too. Yes, yeah, those are, those are conducive. I think that I, uh, unders on the running game for San Francisco is going to be a very non-public bet. So they want to run the ball, but they're not, but I think Shanahan's smart enough to realize if he gets into a certain spot, you know, he'll, he'll adjust. And that's, and we've seen that from him. We've seen Jimmy G throw for 400 yards this season. And we've seen him in an NFC championship game, not even throw the ball 10 times. So I think he's very willing to adapt to game script and that's important and probably a good thing for passing metrics for San Francisco in the championship game. Not such a good thing for rushing metrics, uh, unless you really think the Niners D can hold Mahomes in check, but I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I also don't think that's going to happen. Have you have you bet on this game yet? I bet on the Chiefs at one and a half. Yeah, I I, I thought I, it was going to move, gonna so move. I wanted to jump on yeah. it. What 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 like like losers we are, dude? Like oh, I know dude, absolutely nothing. That that was like total. I did exactly what they said in the Logic of Sports Betting book that losing betters do which is i felt like the line was off and i just was like i'm gonna slam this before it well moves, so so yes you can do that but also i think something else they say in ed's book which we've now touted a bunch and you guys can go listen to a podcast i did with ed and you can also go you can also go read the book um but i they, they say if you're gonna bet these big games like if you're gonna like oh i'm gonna bet an nfl game bet it right when it comes out not when it closes yeah, because at that point, and if you if you are in a sharp money, public money, at that point, it doesn't matter because the line's already adjusted to what it's going to adjust to. So if you were sharp and got LSU at plus six and a half, that was probably a good bet because it closed at four, you know, result be damned. Um, I think before we move on to NBA, I guess just anything you took away from this playoffs that you're going to apply to next year's playoffs in betting or fantasy prior to the playoffs beginning. Uh, I think, I mean, a big thing that I'm going to think about for betting going forward is teams that I think have uh, a combination of an elite quarterback and elite head coach. I am, and, and those teams are, you know, not favored in these markets. I'm going to try and bet that a little bit more aggressively. Like I wish that I would have bet Ravens futures, Chiefs futures. Like I wish I would have bet those. I know the Ravens lost, but like I'm saying, I, I wish that I had bet those situations a little bit more aggressively. Yeah, I think for me, it's just the things we talked about in terms of adjusting for teams that the regular season data is either their best case scenario or there's a lot of room for upside and sort of adjusting for those things. And even though Baltimore had a little bit of downside relative to the regular season data, I think they were the clear favorite to win the Super Bowl. Like they should have been the favorite. It didn't happen. So I'm not overreacting to that, but I do think I should have been higher on the Chiefs, I really wanted to get them prior to week 17 when they're like plus 750, plus 800 in some places. And, you know, I just didn't get to it quick enough. And sure enough, you know, they got the home field edge and it quickly but, got cut but, in half. 
we we read that book now, so now we just want to sports gamble on everything. Absolutely everything. Um, like literally everything. Things we bet on. So last week we touted two NBA divisional bets, Davis, the Celtics and the Utah Jazz, both around even money. I believe the Celtics was right around even money. The Jazz was plus 110. Uh, if you look at it today, the Celtics are plus 200. They've gone from our model over 90% to like 40% to win. So it wasn't a great week for the Celtics. They lost, even though they had that win against the Lakers, they had a couple home games against teams they should have beat that they didn't. And then it just seemed like Philly and Toronto were racking up W's. So that went poorly. But Utah Jazz going about as we expected. That line now on FanDuel uh, – you know, went from plus 110 when we touted it to it's minus like 150, I think. I think it's moved quite a bit. Um, but we have them up to about an 86% chance to win the division. So that one's looking pretty good. We have the Jazz as 86%? Yeah, we have the Jazz as 86% wow. they, to win So my, my book is offering me a cash out on this bet. That, that we bet last week i'm not i'm gonna i'm gonna let it ride but that, that is that's interesting what is the cash out the cash out is uh, uh like the money back of the ticket and then 80 percent of the wager but 80%, like percent well that's like better than most cash outs usually are usually they're minus I mean, 145 now on FanDuel. are yeah, you sure so that's it, right it's it's at the fan at the book i'm looking at it's minus 110 interesting so so we would say we would say that's still bettable at minus 110 maybe i should just yeah we would say it's still bettable at minus 110 Um, okay i'm I'm gonna re-up we don't we don't definitely still bettable we don't we don't cash out here leone with there no cash outs we we ride are cash outs ever worth it like there would have to be some weird data discrepancy for a book to Uh, offer you a a positive ev cash out cash outs in golf gotta be gotta be plus ev not plus EV, but if you, I guess if you really want to reduce variance. I mean, okay, so not plus but EV, like, but. If you're, if you're in a position where you're hedging frequently or trying to reduce variance, like you're why are you even anyway. betting these things to begin yeah. with is sort of my opinion. I mean, I, you're just I, hurting I, your EV. I, I, I got to admit, I, I have hedged a golf bet once and I'll never do it again. I went through this weird phase in college basketball where I kept trying to middle things. And then like, I was kept winning my original bet and losing the second bet and losing the juice. And I was just like, why why am I even doing this? All I'm doing is paying rake twice. It was really stupid. You do, you do not love to see that. Nope. It was a tough scene. That was back when I was a full degenerate. And now I like to think of myself as a half degenerate. I mean, imagine betting on college basketball. Dude, the NCAA tournament's fun as hell to bet on. I actually, I especially actually, when you uh, go to it. I, as far as I can tell from following people who are like, like actually, like they don't play DFS. Like all they do is bet on sports. I think the like mid-major college basketball markets are, for the most part, still pretty beatable by sharp betters right now. Yeah, that might be these, the case. I'm not. The one thing that was apparent in that book too is it's why you know part of the reason why we focus on futures in this show is because for a regular game of regular notoriety or fame or whatever dude if you don't have a model and you don't like like the difference in winning is 
the break-even percentage on a bet might be 52% and you think it wins 55% and that makes it a good bet. Like the average person betting isn't betting because they think there's a 3% higher chance of that bet hitting than what Vegas has it lined at, right? Like they're not even remotely considering it that way. Whereas um, we do have, you know, the sports grid models to help us out there and we also have them help us out with the futures. But I think the futures between having that model base and then some common sense, like those lines aren't as efficient and there's more room to actually be profitable on those. And part of the reason is because they're not paid attention to as much. They're, you know, the sports book gets to hold your money. So they're happy, you know, to take your money for a while anyways. And they just don't get as much action. The limits are lower. So there's less reason for them to have to move the lines, you know, real quickly and real sharply because they're just not taking huge bets on them. Yeah, I mean, and that is, I, I guess that's a, that's a huge point is that some of these markets, I, well, a lot of these markets, especially the ones that you and I are talking about on the show, they, they are beatable, that you do get good numbers on these, you just have to understand, um, like, the, the books are okay with you winning these, because you're going to lose on NFL games, basically. Yeah, and uh, in chat, Nathan Joyce confirms mid-majors are, in fact, beatable. So good for you, Nathan. Maybe you can feed us some picks. And Philly Dilly wants us to be aware that there are majors, PGA's futures out there. So maybe after should, the Super Bowl, we'll get into that. Well, should we? are, are we going to talk about more NBA ones? I, I, I can pull them up right yeah. now. Let's, let's, what's your best NBA bet before we sign off? I mean, Because we need the, to add something fresh to the docket each week. It's got to be there. Yeah, so... The uh, I gotta say, the outright markets for NBA are uh, the the championship. The unless you, unless you really truly believe that the Utah Jazz can win the NBA championship, I don't think there's value on any of these. I don't think that the Celtics. That's like, I think that the Celtics, the Nuggets, the Mavericks, and the Raptors and the Heat maybe and like a, a, a truly crazy world can all win the title. But I think the numbers on all of them are bad. Like the hard part of, with the Celtics, like their NBA championship number hasn't dropped, even though their divisional odds have tanked. And, you know, it's going to be a harder path if they don't win the division. So I find that weird. And that was another thing in the logic of sports, buddy, not to keep going back to it, but sometimes these books in these markets, they don't move things that are correlated correctly, right? So if the total in a game moves, they might not be moving Jimmy Garoppolo's passing touchdown prop when they probably should. Those things are connected. And same thing here with the Boston Celtics. Their odds to win the division have dropped, but yet the odds to win the championship have stayed still. So in that case, there's not really much you can benefit from, but there might be in some other cases. Yeah, I mean, this is like one of the number one things to look at if you are trying to wager on sports seriously is when you can see the market move in one direction and then a correlated market not moving at all. All right, so what's the bet? I mean, the bet that I would make right now, like the only the only team that I'm wagering on to win the NBA championship is the Los Angeles Lakers because that's who I believe wins the championship, but I don't think it's a very good number at all. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, well, I, I think it's a, a completely equitable number, but rather than tying money up for six months betting on the Lakers to win the championship, I just, you know, I'd rather bet golf head-to-heads or whatever. I find it really funny. I bet the Clippers at about, plus, I think, plus 350 prior to the season to win the championship. They're plus 320 now, which seems odd. Doesn't that seem a little odd to you? It's plus 350 on the book I'm looking at. Okay. okay. Well, even still, yeah. isn't it odd no, no. that it hasn't... like? And I guess that is an example of either that market is 
way too strict now. That number is, you know, should be way higher. They should be like plus 450 or something, plus 500. Or I got a pretty good bet before the season because, you know, if you look at with the Lakers there, potentially taking the top seed, I, I guess you could say they haven't suffered a major injury and they're still second in the conference. So their position hasn't really dropped. It's kind of, I guess, middle, the more I think about it. At first, I was thinking it should have dropped with the Lakers probably taking the one seed. Yeah, I mean, everyone's everyone's odds in the Western Conference should have dropped as it became clear that the Lakers were the best team. And I don't think you're seeing that. They're also only a half game up on Denver and Utah. You know, for you know what? Seed. You know what? Denver would be the team if you were if you were looking to get frisky. Denver at sixteen to one. That would be the team that if you wanted to bet someone a little bit deeper, that you would bet. Or the it's, I don't, so the FanDuel sportsbook has them at twenty three plus twenty three hundred. Twenty three is is very. I would not like. If I I do not have access to that sportsbook, but I would bet that right now. Yeah, I I don't either. I like to use them because it's more popular. Uh, so let's get legalized in New York. So you know I don't have to go. Leone, I, I believe <laughs> that they 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 made a move to that this week. I believe so, that there was an, another move for New York sports betting this week. I think it's getting closer. I didn't see the exact thing. I know the casino downtown you can sports bet in. So uh, the Seneca Casino here in Buffalo. Actually, I'm, I'm looking you, uh, up now to should, see what the Should we are. should we give out a golf wager? To win the to win the uh, farmers Dude, insurance like open at you, you can give out a golf wager. I'm not. I mean, I'm I, up... I I am betting uh, a quarter unit on to be young Hunan to win the farmers insurance open at Torrey Pines, sixty six to one. It's probably eighty to one at um some so like I bet you can find an eighty pretty easily. They don't have golf at the sports book in Buffalo, and it really tilts me. But as far as NBA goes, NBA championship. Let's see plus 2000 on Denver. So somewhere in between FanDuel and the book that you've got it at. 20, right. 23 to one on Denver is, is quite good. Yeah. We're going to update the sports grid model. You can check it out right now. It's got the division odds, top four odds, playoff odds. We're going to update it to have the actual NBA championship odds pretty shortly. I'll talk to Arturo about that. Uh, Davis, I think you can take us out of here though. All right, everyone, thank you very much for watching Uncertain Futures with Michael Leone and myself. And uh, we will be back next week with uh, hopefully uh, it's a very, you know, uh, hopefully the Kansas City Chiefs are our minus three next week by the time we do this show. <laughs> hey, everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys. And I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon.